Well, this is one of those passages that preachers skip. The author of Hebrews uh, has been helping us do what we have longed to do, which is to look much closer into the greatness of the gospel, into who Jesus is and what he's done, because it will uh, put us in a place where we are steadfast in Christ. And we have certainly needed that steadfastness this year. Uh, this marks a one year uh, of COVID for us as a church in one sense because uh, it was this time exactly one year ago that we uh, ceased having our public gatherings in the way uh, that we had been having them for years. And I don't know how God has met you in that time where you have uh, suffered, where you have seen his grace. But Hebrews has been a timely book for us to say, Hold fast to Christ. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our worship. He is life itself. Let's uh, do what Hebrews says and pay much closer attention to Christ in this time. And that's what we've been doing. Uh, first, we looked at the Son and how He was God's uh, gift from heaven in the perfect time to come to earth and, and reveal everything about God and to bring us salvation and life now and forever. And then we looked at the angels and we looked much closer at the angels and compared them to Christ and how the angels are transcendent and above all things, but Jesus is even more transcendent. Yet He is so deeply imminent with us, present, day in and day out. Then we looked at Moses and how Moses promised a rest to the people in change of circumstance. But it wasn't a change of circumstance we needed. We needed a change of relationship. And Jesus brought this amazing change of relationship between us and our God that brings us a deep rest. And last week we looked at priests and how priests uh, were uh, welcoming God's sinful people in through the sacrifice of a lamb or a dove and, and said, come on into the very presence of God. Yet we saw that Jesus was an even greater priest who could empathize with us and radically transform our relationship with the living God. And that's right where the author of Hebrews is, where we end here in uh, chapter 5, verse 10. And that's where we ended last week. He's talking about Melchizedek, this uh, priest in the oathly line of God. And, and he, he's gonna, about to go into Melchizedek, and then he does this abrupt sidebar. It says in verse 11 of chapter 5, about this Melchizedek in the priestly order, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, sluggish. It's the word that will kind of bracket this whole argument of the author of Hebrews. This, uh, this sidebar that he decides, I must tell, I must warn the people in this. About this Melchizedek, he'll return to him in chapter 7, but then he steps aside and he says, we have much to say, you have become sluggish, dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their food 
uh, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. He takes this sidebar because uh, uh, there our situation is dire. Here's the full sidebar, the flow of his thought, his argument, why he steps back from these comparisons of Christ to all these other things to say Jesus is better. He says we're immature. He says we're just completely immature people. And then he says you have to move on from immaturity into maturity. You have to go from here to there. And if you give up, and he steps back, he says, if you stop moving from immaturity to maturity, if you give up on Christ, oh, woe to you, warning. There are some doozies in here. For it is impossible for those who have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. What does that mean? Warning. And then he resolves with commendation and encouragement. So what we'll do this morning is we'll kind of take this sidebar with the author because uh, we, many of us particularly, are in a dire situation this morning teetering on the edge in doubt or apathy or suffering of, uh, of going back or giving up on Christ. And the author of Hebrews says, we'll stop the whole argument to talk about this because it's that important. So we'll go through the weeds of the argument and, and look at some of these sayings which are just uh, kind of uh, very doozies of sayings. Uh, and then we will kind of uh, answer, uh, look at some uh, kind of hot questions or pressing questions after we look at this text and, and ask ourselves, well, how do we hang on? How do we hang on then if it's that dire? So we'll go through the weeds of the argument and look at some of these tangly sayings and, and then we'll ask some hot or pressing questions once we've looked at this and, and ask how do we hang on? First, we realize uh, the argument begins in chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. First, we realize that we might be in this camp of the immature. He says you're in this dire situation because you are immature. You're like a baby who's still taking on milk when uh, he or she should be eating solid food. Like it's time for Cheerios. You have to move on from milk to Cheerios, then to broccoli when you really grow up and get mature. And then you can uh, cook for yourself and move out of the house. You, you have to go from here to there, from milk to broccoli to moving out. You have to grow up, but you are still babies. Uh, if you've had a child of your own, you've probably purchased a book like What to Expect When You're Expecting, or a book like it. It shows uh, it, 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 when the, uh, at con uh, conception, you have this a little uh, egg and an embryo, and you, it comes together, and then you see at about eight weeks, you get this uh, circulatory system. You can hear and see the heartbeat at just eight weeks, and then uh, you get little toes and hands, and, and the baby keeps growing up unless something were to abruptly stop it from the maturing process in the womb or after the womb uh, that it will keep maturing and growing and the author says you've stopped maturing how's he define immaturity verse 12 you ought to be teachers 
at this point, you ought to be in a place, I ought to be in a place where we could uh, transfer the truths of the gospel. You'd have, in a sense, enough street cred of living it out that, that you could share with others. They'd say, man, I want to sit with you. I don't want to walk with you. I can learn from you what it looks like to follow Christ. You've grown up in street cred, and not just you should be a teacher, uh, but at, at this point, everyone who lives on milk or is immature is unskilled. Verse 13 of chapter 5, in the word of righteousness. We're unskilled. We don't know how to apply the truths of what God has said in a skilled way, uh, in a righteous way. Thinking what is right, talking, speaking what is right, listening what is right in righteousness. We ought to teach. We ought to be skilled in righteousness. And we ought to be able to discern through power of discernment trained by constant practice. To distinguish good and evil. Teach because we have street cred. We have lived out the ways of the Lord. Uh, grown in righteousness. We know how to apply the scriptures in our lives and live them out righteously. And to discern what is right and wrong. To do what is right and good. To know what is right and good. We are immature people unable to do these things. See, maturity is not knowing more things. It's living more of what you know. Maturity is not knowing more, stuffing our head with more, but it's being able to live in a skilled, righteous way. It's able to teach others the way to live. It's able to discern what is right and good and do it. It's not knowing more. It's, it's, it's doing more of what we know is right and true. It's like the ABCs. We, we don't ever kind of move past the ABCs. We just begin spelling and reading and building on these foundations of the ABCs to, to apply them to our lives, to use them for profit. Now, it's all well and good that you know how to write out a budget, but until you live by a budget, you are not wise, you are not skilled, you're not mature. It's all good and great that we know how to cook ourselves a meal, but uh, if we uh, keep having mom and dad cook for us until we're 30, 40, 50, living in their basement, we've not yet matured. not about knowing more it's about living out more of what we know it's about knowing what is true of our god in a way that puts us firm steadfast in his ways now and in the days to come so this is just what the author says to do he says well Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine. And it's a, an interesting phrase. Let us leave these elementary doctrines of Christ and, and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He, he says, let us leave these, but leave them in a way that we do what? We move on to maturity. Uh, maybe uh, you've heard, you know, we never kind of outgrow the gospel. We never move on past the gospel. It's not just the ABCs. It's the A to Zs of Christianity. Uh, well, that's basically what this is saying. We're not leaving these things uh, and, and moving on in a way that we'll never come back to the gospel or identity in Christ or what is true of Jesus. The, the whole book of Hebrews is reminding us over and over to do this. It's saying we move on into maturity. Building on the foundation of these things, using our ABCs to spell and read and learn. 
letting these truths, this process of maturity take root in our lives. Notice this is a process that the author explains here of of the foundational truths. Uh, The first uh, uh, dual couplet of this beginning aspect of the process is repentance from dead works and, and a clinging of faith towards God. It's, it's this idea that we repent from. We turn from our old ways and we cling in faith to Christ and this new way of life in Him by the gospel. It's where the whole thing begins. Then he says there's this, these washings and the laying on of hands. It's these uh, beginning rites uh, of institution into this uh, new life with Christ. The, the washings or the baptisms being, being dunked with Christ, saying, I died with him, now I've resurrected with him. The laying on of hands, the reminder that he's gifted you, he's prepared you for good works to do and, and sends you out into them. So you have repented, you've turned from your ways, you've clung to Christ, you're marked as a believer, uh, then you live out the good works uh, and the laying on of hands of of how he's called you to live for him all the way to the end of this time of the resurrection and a coming judgment from beginning to end a maturity taking root in us a process of applying the things that are true of Christ now and forever holding on to him you know, Jesus will talk about this kind of thing, of maturity. He, he'll say, everyone, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What is the rock? Hearing and doing the very words of our Savior been founded on the rock, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. James 1.22 says, don't merely listen to the words of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what he says. Proverbs, the whole book will say, if you want to grow up in wisdom, it starts as a a father and a mother talking to their son. If you want to grow up in in wisdom and maturity, it's, it's not just hearing the words of God, but then doing the words of God, living out of the truth of the words of God. A stern, a stable, steady foundation on Christ. And the only way there is through. The only way there is through. Through that struggle, through that apathy, through that doubt. The only way to maturity is through. Clinging onto Christ through whatever storm you're in today. Whether it's doubt or apathy like a fungus that's coming up into your life. It's it's through it, it. Through Suffering, it is through it. That is the only way we mature. I'd had my, uh, we'd had our second kid. And, uh, you know, the first kid kind of rattles you a bit. You're like, wow, my whole life has changed. Uh, we can't go on dates anymore, right? We got this kid that's it's, it's just uh, changing everything about us. And then uh, eventually we did realize, oh, man, yeah, we can go on dates and should go on dates. And we did. But uh, then kid number two came. 
And I remember with kid number one, I would be able to come home from work and I'd say, uh, you know, I get to sit down for a second and breathe and rest for a second. And, and then the kid would come my way and I would get to care for uh, little Jacob at the time. And, but then kid number two came. And, and when you come home from, from work from kid number two, you, you enter the house and it's just, it's, it's go time right away. I mean, there is no kind of catching your breath. It's time to go, time to work, time to help, uh, time to die. <laughs> Live for others, right? Like mature, grow up. And I just remember thinking, I can't handle it. I cannot handle it. This isn't what I signed up for. And I remember uh, my wife graciously let me go to the driving range with a friend. This is uh, when we were living in Dallas for a little while. And, and I'm out there, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I'm just swinging away. And uh, Clark says to me, he goes, man, how are you doing? I said, I'm miserable. I can't take it. I mean, I, I, when I come home, it's like, man, can't she, like, can't she keep both the kids for a little longer so I can wrestle? I've been working all day, and, and I'm, like, just moaning and groaning. And Clark looks at me and goes, Matt, you've got to find another gear. You've got to find another gear. And you've got to live in that new normal today. And I remember thinking, this isn't the answer I wanted to hear, Clark. The only way... Uh, to the other side of this, the only way to maturity, the only way to get here is to go, or there is to go through here and to get there. You, you have to go through this to arrive there. And I just remember thinking, oh, man, Jesus, I'm going to need your help in this. And I, I'm going to need uh, your strength. I'm going to need my identity in you because I'm really failing at this. And, and just the only way uh, there is through. And I had to grow up some. I don't know where you are today in struggle, in doubt, or apathy, but the only way to maturity is through it. Remaining with Christ. Don't, don't cut off the maturity process by jumping ship today. Do not cut off the maturity process by jumping ship today. See, who you are in Christ, when that morning, when you repented and you, you turned to Christ and, and you gripped him by faith and, and he, he, he had his arms open to you and you found yourself alive as his son, as his daughter, and then you were baptized and you realized, man, he's got something for me in this laying on of hands that, that he's got a good work for me to do uh, in my church, in my school, in my work. Uh, and, and then it's going to go all the way into eternity when the resurrection occurs and he comes to judge and I realize I ought to be judged but Jesus was judged in my place and then I'm ushered into eternity all these things are true and now I'm just learning to live them out as I cling to Christ and I know whose I am and I know he's got me and I know he'll have me tomorrow all the way into eternity the only way there is through the author adds this uh, great phrase, it's uh, not a trinket, it is uh, a, a integral piece of this, verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. By his grace, he will carry us through into maturity. We will move on from these foundational things in a way that we will grow up and find our feet firm in Christ now and forever by his grace because it is an arduous process. A young convert, a friend of mine, uh, said it this way, I feel like I'm going through puberty again after he came to know Christ. It's arduous. It's painful. 
It's a costly process. Jesus says, before you step into this, building a house, make sure you have all the materials. Before you step into war, make sure you count the cost of the soldiers. It's a costly process, and here's what will happen. You and I are going to want to give up. You're going to want to give up. We have all been there when doubt has clouded our minds, when the struggle seems too much. When apathy just seems like, man, what's just the next step to giving up? It's just nothing. I mean, what am I doing with Jesus anyway? We're all going to want to give up. And this is where, man, he hits us with something that is terrifying. For it is impossible, verse 4. This isn't just like uh, unlikely, right? This is impossible. It is impossible. It's the same word that's used later of, of it's impossible for God to lie. He doesn't lie. And it is impossible. Here's what's impossible. In the case of those who have once tasted, we're going to get a whole list of all these positive things, these things having to do with a tasting of the joys and the salvation of Christ, and, and then we're going to get one negative, and, and then he's going to come back to what's impossible. He says, here's what's impossible. In the case of those who have been once enlightened, who have seen what is dark in sinfulness and, and instead clung to what is light in Christ, had uh, this kind of switch of the brain go off uh, of an enlightened kind of way. Those who have tasted the heavenly gift, who've, who've had a little nibbling, a little taste of the grace of God and the forgiveness of Christ. Those who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who've been in the community of the Spirit, that have enjoyed the benefits of just deep fellowship and have seen the Spirit work in great ways of encouragement and support, and, and those who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and those who have tasted, tasted the very Word of God and the powers of the age to come, those who have uh, heard the preaching of the Scriptures or maybe even studied the Bible on their own a little bit and, and have tasted how good God's Word is and how true it is, maybe even obeyed it some in their lives, and those who have seen the Holy Spirit work in just uh, major ways, maybe in healing or care or, or giving purpose where there was none or peace where there was striving. Those who have just enjoyed all these wonderful things of who Jesus is and what he's done in the community of the church. It's impossible if they have then fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. It's impossible for those who have enjoyed what is wonderful about Jesus, but then have fallen away, turned their back, said, I don't want it anymore. For them to be restored to repentance, that beginning of the train, remember? Turning back from our old ways to cling to Christ in faith and then live for Him until He returns and there's judgment. Impossible 
for them to be restored to that moment of repentance. Why? Because they're re-crucifying Christ. Uh, particularly in this crowd, as the author of Hebrews is writing to uh, Jewish converts who have decided uh, no longer to live this life of legalism or trying to be good enough for God. Now they're going to live for Christ by grace and they're going to cling to Him now and forever because of the gift He has given as the perfect sacrifice. If they're to go back and say, nah, I'm just going to try harder, I'm going to be more tolerant, I'm going to be more loving, and I'm sure God will be happy with me. They're re-crucifying Christ and in essence saying his sacrifice was not sufficient. I've got to go add something to it. Why would they ever come back to crucify him again? They have already decided the sacrifice was insufficient. I'm going to go do it on my own. Not only have they uh, been accused of re-crucifying Christ, but they're publicly shaming Christ. They, they've enjoyed the things of uh, good preaching, of worship, of Christian community, and, and now they've said, I don't want any of it. That Jesus who, who you all are worshiping, he's worthy of nothing but shame. I'm over here living my own life again. Impossible. For those who have tasted of these wonderful things and then fallen away to return to repentance. Return to repentance. What's your favorite pizza? You know, wh wh where do you go for pizza around here? I, I just think the best pizza is Lido's pizza. It's the best. A and you might say, no, Little Caesar's is the best. And we all know you're wrong. And if I bring you both and you taste Lido's and you're like, mm, that's pretty good. And then I give you Little Caesars and you taste that and you say, oh, that's way better. And I said, man, yeah, wait, 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 you just tasted what is so good in Lido's and you're leaving that to go back over to the trash heap of Little Caesar? Are you serious? What's your favorite burger? Who's a five guys kind of burger guy? Five guys is the best. It is the best. And you say, McDonald's. McDonald's is the best. And I say, whoa, 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 try this. It tastes so good. It's five guys. And you bite it. And you're like, that is pretty good. And then you, you say, but I'm going back to McDonald's. I'm going back to McDonald's. And I say, man, you are without hope. Like, it's done for you, right? Like, uh, you know Lito's is better. You know Five Guys is better. And you want Little Caesars and McDonald's? It is done for you. Impossible. That's what's going on here. They've tasted some of the best things about who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit and the community of the saints. And they've said, no, I don't want to keep going. I don't want to bear fruit of obedience and hold on to Christ. I'm like a field. The, the author of Hebrews says, well, you're just like this field, verse 7, that's drunk of the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who, for sake it was cultivated, receives a blessing, right? There's this good field that receives all it ought to have had in the preaching of the word and the, the scriptures and in the applying of uh, uh, the word to your life and the, the community of the saints. And, and it, it ought to then bear this fruit of sticking with Christ now and forever, uh, just like this field that bears fruits, verse 8. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless, near to being cursed, near to being cursed, and its end to be burned. Do not fall away. 
don't give in to those doubts. And just say, man, it's, it's probably right. There's nothing to this Jesus thing. Right? Don't give in to that suffering. Because you don't yet see the fruit that God might bring tomorrow and certainly will bring in eternity. Don't give in to your apathy and just take that one more step of saying, man, I'm not doing anything with Jesus now. I, man, I just, for the rest of my life, won't. Come back and help bring people back. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says it this way. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering or falling away will save his soul from death will cover over a multitude of sins. What is it impossible for this person to do? It's impossible that they would repent. It's not impossible that they would be saved. This is the spot you might find yourself in thinking, have I fallen away? <laughs> And the author of Hebrews would say, come back, repent. Uh, first of all, don't ever leave. Don't ever give up on Christ. He is greater. He is better. Uh, live out into maturity now and forever. He is worth it. Uh, but, but if you have, would you repent? And if you repent, then you have not fallen away because it is impossible for anyone who has fallen away to repent. So would you come back if you have? The author hastily gets on to commendation and encouragement, and I will gratefully go there with him. Though we speak in this way, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. He gives encouragement. He gives commendation because what has he seen in them? He's seen, verse 10, that, that God is not so unjust as to overlook your works. You have lived in love towards the saints because of your love for God. Uh, you, you know who Jesus is and what he's done, and therefore you're loving others like he has loved you. There's evidence of fruit in your life of clinging to Christ over and over. And he says, and you have a patient faith. And would you keep imitating others, verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish. There it is again, that word. Don't reject what you've heard, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Would you imitate people like Abraham, is what he says, who is patient in his faith over and over again. For God made, for when God made a promise to Abraham, verse 13, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, God swore by himself, saying, surely I'll bless you and multiply you. God looked at Abraham and he gave him promises and promises in chapter 12 of Genesis, in chapter 15 of Genesis, in chapter 17 of Genesis. He says, you're going to be mine. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep you all the way to the end. And Abraham, he kept messing up his life. He kept lying. He kept doubting. But he, you know what? He kept coming back. He kept coming back to the promise over and over again. He never left. And 
God says, I have a promise for you, verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I've got an anchor. And I remember the first time I saw an anchor as on my father-in-law's sailboat, and it was this big old boat, and it was just this tiny little anchor. And he threw it in the water, and I'm like, now you want me to jump off the boat? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to jump into the seas. That's a little anchor. That thing's not going to hold this boat. And he says, ah, but it is forged, dug into the sea floor that is so stable and sturdy. It's not going anywhere. And Jesus says, I've gone into the Holy of Holies and shoved this anchor down in the grace of our God. And it's not going anywhere. Quick hot questions and quick how to hang on. Can I lose my salvation? No, you cannot. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, When we have heard the word of truth, when we have believed and we clung to it, we've been sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. What we did not earn, we cannot lose. He, his promise is steadfast and sure. It's not that we have great faith, but our faith is in the great faithful God of provision in Christ. How can I be sure I'm saved? What do you believe about Christ? What are you uh, trusting in, uh, your own works or the very work of Christ? How are you saved? By faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, and there's a whole slew of verses in the scripture to say so. And have I fallen away? I would just say, repent today if you feel like you have. <laughs> because if you can turn back to Christ, then you have not fallen away. He is drawing you by His grace. It is impossible for those who have fallen away to repent and find salvation, restoration in Christ. His arms are always open. So hang on in doubt. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Throwing off every sin that so easily entangles and running with perseverance the race marked out for us. Why? Because he has endured the cross for us and with us now and forever. He's an anchor in our soul. 